Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Monday, June 4th, and we're doing an episode about what we'll call surprising real estate investment trusts, or REITs. Basically, we had a listener question about a timber REIT, and we'll talk about that more in just a few minutes. And Matt thought this would be a great chance to talk about businesses people don't usually expect to be REITs. Because we tend to expect, well, frankly, apartment owners, office buildings, shopping malls. We expect REITs for those kinds of properties. But today we're going to be talking about, as I noted, a timber REIT, another uh, REIT that owns data centers, and a third that owns cell towers. But before we get into that specific discussion, let's talk broadly about REITs just for a couple minutes. I think most folks who have listened to the show have heard us talk about REITs in the past, so we'll try to keep things short. But for anyone new or for anyone who just needs a refresher, we'll just spend a couple minutes real quick talking about how real estate investment trusts work, sort of the benefits and and drawbacks to investing in them, and kind of the major um, uh, sort of sector-wide issues that they usually uh, face. So, first off, what is REIT? How do they function, Matt? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm thrilled we're finally doing an episode about REITs. This is, I think, the first one since I've been on the show, and I've been kind of bugging you about it for a while. <laughs> the, the first, like, <laughs> the first, like, strictly REIT episode. Yes. Yes, we've mentioned them. Um, but uh, just in the simplest form, a REIT is kind of an investment vehicle that pools investors' money to buy real estate. Kind of think that think of them in terms of like how a mutual fund is a pool of investors' money that buys stocks or bonds. A REIT is a pool of investors' money that buys real estate, and it's real estate that investors generally didn't have access to before. That's why they were created. Um, I don't know about most listeners, but I personally could not run out and just buy a shopping mall today if I wanted to. So that's why REITs can be such a great investment vehicle. They allow everyday investors access to property types that they normally wouldn't. Um, and before we go any further, just kind of one distinction to make is REIT is kind of a broad term, and there's two classifi- there's two main classifications of REITs. You have equity REITs, which is what we normally are talking about when we say the term REIT, which means companies that own physical properties, and mortgage REITs, companies that invest in mortgage-backed securities and other assets. Generally, if we're talking about mortgage REITs, we will specify. But if you hear the term REIT just come out of our mouth, then we're generally referring to equity REITs. And that's in part because we tend to really prefer equity REITs as businesses, and so we just don't tend to talk about the mortgage REITs as much. As well, they're a much narrower subset. So if we're ever talking about them, as Matt noted, we'll be we'll really call that out. Today, we're just discussing equity REITs. Right. And um, just to go through a few of the kind of things, what makes a REIT a REIT is um, the rule is they have to have at least three quarters of their assets invested in real estate and must also derive at least three quarters of their income from rents, interest payments, sales of real estate, or other other sources derived from the real estate itself. They also have to pay out most of their income as dividends, which is one of the reasons investors tend to love these, especially in retire- retirement accounts where they don't have to pay taxes. Um, <clears throat> REITs tend to pay higher dividends than most, most, of the, most other companies. Um, they also have to be owned by at least 100 people and have to be kind of no one can own a majority of a REIT. The rule is that no more than 50% of a REIT can be owned by five or fewer people. So generally, REITs limit individual ownership to a 10% stake. Right. Um, yeah. So, so there are a couple of issues with REITs that that bear noting. So, as Matt pointed out, you know, a lot of REITs, well, well, REITs are required to pay out a lot in dividends. That's kind of how they get that that tax benefit where they aren't otherwise paying uh, income taxes. 
or business taxes. And so this this issue then is that because they're having to pay out so much in dividends, they can really only effectively fund um, growth one of three ways. One is by selling old properties and buying new ones. That doesn't necessarily translate to growth, but sometimes it can. Um, the second is by taking on debt. And so you tend to find that REITs tend to be very debt laden and they tend to be very interest rate sensitive. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And thirdly, um, issuing equity, aka diluting shareholders, aka putting more shares out on the market and selling them. And so uh, what you'll tend to find with REITs is um, that they usually do some sort of combination of all three of those. So talking about interest rates for a minute, REITs basically make their money by, in a lot of ways, by taking money in from you know, outside uh, lenders, and then you know, positioning it in properties, and then making money off those properties more than they're paying out to the lender. And so, as interest rates increase, even if REITs don't have floating rate debt, um, even if their their debt is you know fixed, it becomes more difficult for them to take on more debt because those interest rates have increased. Therefore, the debt becomes more expensive. Therefore, they can only profitably invest in fewer properties in the future. Yeah, um, and it's it's also worth pointing out that some REITs are much better than others when it comes to selling properties to finance new properties. This you'll see more in, say, like apartments when one real estate market has gone up a whole lot. Like, let's say a company owns a ton of properties in San Francisco, they that you know where we all know that real estate has gone crazy over the past decade or so. They could sell those and reinvest the profits in a kind of lower cost market in more properties that could. You know, have a better return on their investment. Yes, exactly. Um, so there's there's a lot to kind of unpack with REITs, and <laughs> with the three that we've picked out, there's a lot more to unpack. So let's go ahead and hop right in with our first one. So as I as I noted earlier, this first REIT, which is uh, a timber REIT, comes to us courtesy of a listener question on the Industry Focus Twitter. For those interested, that's at MF Industry Focus. Uh, MF, like Motley Fool, and then Industry Focus. Um, so, if you ever have questions, pop a, pop over to there, or you can send us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. We love getting listener questions. We will dedicate whole episodes to them. So, please, if you ever have a, a stock or an idea or just something that you've been kind of kicking around, we love talking to folks via email, Twitter, you know, Pigeon, Carrier Pigeon, whatever else works. So, just reach out. Um, but this first Timberite is called Rainier. That's ticker symbol R Y N. Yeah, this is a business you generally would not think of as being a REIT because, well, first of all, no one you don't rent out the timberlands. You, you use them to generate a product. Um, but the rules are kind of a little bit broader than rental income. It can be, you know real estate activities are producing most of their income, so they qualify for REIT status. Um, Rainier is a big, big owner of Timberland. They own 2.6 million acres of Timberland, primarily in three places. Um, They own some, most of theirs is concentrated in the Southeast United States. Uh, They actually own a lot of land right right near where I am right now. Um, In the Pacific Northwest is the other one, and uh, New New Zealand is about a third of their income as well. So they have a pretty big international presence, which I think is actually where this question came from about their international real estate. Yes, the the International Theme Week has been the gift that keeps on giving, uh, in in a really good way. We've had a lot of great listener questions, and we're trying to address as many of them as we can on the show. Um, you know, it, 
it's and yeah, as as you noted, that New Zealand exposure was what sort of put this on uh, this one listener's um, radar. So it's interesting to me. Um, so Rainier or timber REITs more generally. Let's start with that. Um, are, are are interesting if you're if you want to invest in um, home construction, right? So um, Rainier primarily traffics in pulpwood, which is used for paper, and saw timber, which is used for home construction. And so, as home construction ramps up, and as a general rule, that's probably expected to happen, mostly because demand has stayed fairly flat, whereas home starts are still well below um, what we've seen historically. Um, basically, as sort of this like, um, it's been a They've been depressed basically since the Great Recession and the financial crisis. Um, so as those continue to ramp up, what we would expect to see is better saw timber prices, which could benefit timberland REITs. Um, the other reason you might be interested in timber REITs is that they tend to be relatively low correlated with the rest of the market. And so if you're looking for a hedge um, as just basically an asset class that'll just excuse me function very differently, from most other stocks, then Timberland REITs might be interesting for you. Now, on the flip side of that, I will I will add a note of caution, which is that um, timber is largely a commodity, and I don't know. For me, I'm usually a little bit concerned when you've got a company that is pretty much wholly uh, reliant on a commodity. And so, here's. Here's a thought experiment for you, just to kind of explain this a little bit more. So all REITs are dependent on something else, right? That's just kind of part of the deal. But but if you are Starbucks and you are trying to build a Starbucks at a particular street corner, like chances are good there are only a few buildings that are going to work for you that have vacancy and that you know have the right traffic um, traffic uh, site and line of sight to uh, the road and things like that. And so real uh, a handful of building owners, and perhaps just one REIT or two, will have some pricing power there, because Starbucks really wants to be on this particular street corner, in this particular area, in this particular zip code, right? For something that's really more of a commodity, like timber, you can work with a lot of different providers. And so, um, I, I, I do worry that their pricing power is really fairly weak, and that means that they're going to be largely dependent on a broader market Trends and so things might be good a particular year or a few particular years, but the business is going to really struggle to um, to function well in more difficult years, and that's compounded, of course, by interest rates. At the end of the day, if the economy is doing really well, um, then you would expect home prices, you know, more home construction and things like that, home prices to go up. When the economy is doing poorly, they're going to get kind of hit on um, the Hit on uh, the pricing side and on the demand side, um, and so you know, for me, that's just kind of a big concern when I think about um, this whole class of companies. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's in other words, it's kind of, it's really hard to identify their competitive advantage from a product standpoint. Yeah, their their advantage right now is scale and geographic diversity, things like that. But at the same time, is one company's timber really better than the others? Not really. So, this is def- like Michael said, definitely a commodities play. But on the flip side, it is usually a very consistent source of income. It's a product that a commodity that people you know is generally always in demand to one degree or another. Um, <clears throat> and Rainier produces a pretty big yield. They produce uh, 10 million tons a year of 
of usable timber that's on a sustainable basis. So this is kind of just it's a it's a great income play, not great for growth, um, not great because you're because you're kind of levered toward one commodity. Like I wouldn't put all my money in oil futures either. Right. <laughs> you know, same same idea. So it, it's got its pluses and minuses, just like everything else. But I would definitely call this much more of a pure income play. Yes, and the dividend is about a 2.8% yield. It's well covered, um, and so that's looking at um, an FFO or a a um, dividend payouts to FFO ratio. So, like things look very good there. Um, and and I I will say one thing that I'm really pleased by with Rainier and something I think they've done a good job of is looking at what's called um, higher and better use HBU. Um, so that's this idea that hey. You might have some timberland that could one day be developed into a residential neighborhood or a shopping mall. And so you sell that property to the developer who's looking to do that so that you can then go buy a lot more timberland somewhere else. Because, of course, land that's going to be useful for residential development or a shopping mall is going to transact for more than timberland. And so when I mentioned earlier that that first way that companies can kind of acquire new properties when they're REITs, which is by selling old properties and getting new ones. I said, you know, generally speaking, you can't grow that way, right? Because it's, you know, it, more or less-ish, a, a one-to-one kind of thing. Well, that's not necessarily true with Timberland, actually, because if you are selling, you know, these HBU parcels for a much, for a, a really significant markup, then there's this opportunity to acquire a lot more Timberland for less. So, that's certainly a plus. Um, but as for me, yeah, I'm, I'm not a I'm not really uh, a big commodities guy, and so I, I tend to stay away from investments like this personally. Yeah, I would kind of agree. The other two we're about to talk about are much more much more growth plays and much less dependent on any one thing. So that's kind of where I lean. Actually, the next one we're about to talk about is one that I own personally. So. Oh, and that is and but uh, but one more time before we head on to it the. Uh, Stock we were just talking about, Rainier, ticker symbol RYN. Okay, so our next company, Digital Realty Trust, ticker symbol DLR. And this is really a play on data. Yeah, this I, I in articles I refer to uh, digital realty as kind of the tech stock that no one thinks of as a tech stock. Um, <laughs> it's it's a it's a, a REIT. It, they own data centers, which if you're not familiar, these are big buildings that house servers and other kind of networking equipment. And kind of the idea is that companies like high-tech companies think IBM, Facebook, things like that need secure and reliable places to store all the data that's flowing through them. Um, and that's where that's where digital realty and the whole concept of data centers come in. Digital realty is one of the biggest players. They're actually the seventh largest REIT in the market. Um, and they own about 200 data centers all over the world, most of mostly most of the revenue still comes from the U.S., but they do have a pretty good presence in Europe and Asia. Um, and this is kind of a a pretty interesting growth story with what's going on in the tech space over the next, or what's projected to go on over the next couple of decades. Yeah, DLR is really interesting, um, and frankly, from an income perspective, still looks pretty good. It's a three point eight percent dividend yield. Again, well covered, um, no issues there. Um, now, um, one thing that I have to note about digital realty, and it's something to be aware of with most REITs, is the difference between gap and cash basis rent. And so here's here's the background. So digital realty has issued guidance, and they've said that on a cash basis 
rent, uh, they're expecting their rent to be down a little bit uh, this year. And then on a GAP basis, they're expecting it to be up. And the reason for that is that GAP, or generally accepted account- accounting practices, requires that you do essentially what's a straight line on your rent. So, as a, an example, if you have uh, a lease that this year is $10 per year per square foot, um, and for the next four years, or the next five years, it's $10 per square foot, and then for the five years after that, it jumps up, doubles to $20 per square foot. What you So, that's think of it as sort of $150 per square foot over 10 years, you have to report on a cash basis that this year's rent is $10 per square foot. On a gap basis, you're reporting it that it's $15 per square foot, because they require you to straight line it across the entire term of the lease. And so, um, what that basically means is, yeah, they're getting people in on some relatively cheap rent today, but they are planning to raise the rent pretty significantly on them over a longer time period, and that is a good sign for the business's growth. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> speaking of growth, there's a bunch of reasons to kind of believe in the data center story. Um, Digital Realty, first of all, has been very aggressive in acquiring you know, computer, competing uh, data center rates over the past couple of years. They've grown by leaps and bounds, and I actually think they'll continue to do so. That's why I own the stock. And um, there's a few, um, they're basically a play on the fact that the need for data storage and data transmission will continue to increase over time. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, the, the data market's getting kind of saturated. Um, devices are kind of streaming as much data as they're going to, but that's really not the case. Um, the big catalyst I like for this is kind of the, the whole um, Internet of Things market. Um, the number of just connected devices is is soaring. Um, when you think of just how many of your devices are internet connected compared to a few years ago, like my, my doorbell is internet connected right now. Right. That would have seemed crazy five years ago. Um, yeah. my, my, va- my vacuum cleaner has an internet connection. Uh, like things like that. And that's growing at a, a 34% annualized rate right now. And that's going to fuel the need for, like I said, secure and reliable transmission and storage of data. So although this market's big, digital realty is a very, very big player in the space, there could be a, we could just be scratching the surface of the the need for data centers in, in the world. Yeah. And at the end of the day, tech companies tend to, now this isn't true for all tech companies necessarily, but they tend to want to operate on a pretty asset light model. They don't want to necessarily be controlling a bunch of data centers and paying for all that real estate upkeep, it's much easier to just pay somebody else to do it. And so you don't have that stuff on your balance sheet. So you can focus on reinvesting your cash in, uh, you know, anything else, <laughs> uh, in development, in, um, in research, in, in, in new ideas, in innovations, in, in new apps. And so um, it's a really attractive business for a lot of reasons. Um, and um, frankly, it's, it's growing pretty Quickly, um, you know, rental revenues were up 31% year over year. Of course, funds from operations were only up a, a couple, a few percentage points, about seven percent, because of both operating expenses and share issuance, uh, which again is one of the ways that these companies grow. Um, so there's been there are kind of a lot of puts and takes there, but it's an attractive company that really functions a little bit like kind of one of those growth plus dividend stocks, and that can be, I mean. For, for my money, pretty darn attractive. 
Yeah, um, 7% is actually a pretty high rate for, for real estate. Most most REITs aim for, you know, 2 to 3% per share rental growth. Right. Um, it seems to be more the norm. Um, uh, one thing else, one other thing I'd like to point out about digital realty is that they're, they have a very diverse tenant base and they have a, a ton of great companies that rent from them. Um, their top tenants include like Facebook, I mentioned, IBM, Verizon, AT&T, JP Morgan Chase is a big tenant of theirs. Um, and they have 2,300 customers, so they're not very dependent on any single one. Right. So this is kind of getting back to what we were talking about with Rainier, how they're dependent on just kind of one thing. Um, you know, I mean, I don't, not that it's going to happen, but Facebook could go bankrupt tomorrow and digital realty would be just fine. Right. Uh, it is kind of – that's kind of the, you know, great diversity to have. Yeah. Um, so that's our two cents on digital realty trust. Again, ticker symbol DLR. So let's turn to our third one. And it was interesting that you talked about uh, a tenant going bankrupt because this third one actually is facing some of that issue right now. So we'll we'll talk about that and unpack that a bit more. That's American Tower REIT, ticker symbol AMT, which is really a play on cell towers. Yeah. American Tower, they own two things, essentially. They own the land that the cell towers are built on. Um, most people who are listening could probably see a cell tower from, from their daily commute to work. Um, they own the, the land that they're built on and the tower itself. They do not own the antennas and other the cables, other equipment that you see on there. Those That's where the tenants come in. Um, so they kind of buy this land, construct a tower, and a company, say, like Verizon, would install their transmitters on the top so customers can have better access to data. Um, they have 160,000 cell tower sites. This is a big, big, big REIT. It's actually the largest REIT in the market. Um, and it's very international. Even, I mean, the name American Tower might might kind of throw you. But their biggest market is actually India. Um, they have about 40,000 out of the 160 are in the U.S., um, almost 60,000 of them are in India, and they also have a lot of um, towers in Brazil, Mexico, uh, Nigeria is a big market. They're pretty much all over the globe, um, and they're a really nice growth play on emerging markets because of this, because a lot of emerging markets don't have the you know mobile device penetration that you see in America. So this is still kind of a young market in a lot of areas of the world. And there's a lot of growth catalysts domestically with um, 5G uh, data transmission especially expected to be rolled out over the next few years. Um, and um, it's just – it's a really big geographically diverse and very in-demand type of real estate. Yes. And – a, a, a quick note, though, of caution, if you will, on American Towers. So, um, their organic tenant billings growth is falling off because of Indian carrier consolidation, which I teased a little bit earlier. So, that's heavily impacting, as you can imagine, their Asia segment. Um, what's What's interesting, though, about um, about about this piece of, of things, though, is that the concern that one of the big concerns with American Tower is that if consolidation happens in, say, for example, the United States. You know, I don't know if we, you, you know, there there are a couple of, uh, well, you know, Sprint and uh, T-Mobile are talking about merging, and, and that's not the first conversation like this that has occurred. But there is a concern that um, as those companies work to ring out synergies, that they might end up reducing their AMT footprint. And that's a concern that investors should be aware of. Now, I think because of the things you talked about, Matt, 
particularly 5G, and the fact that the rest of the world is very much going to want to catch up to that, there's still a lot of growth opportunity here. But we should be aware that they tend to be relatively levered, levered to the market leaders in whatever their, their country is. Kind of makes sense. <laughs> um, and if that number of market leaders decreases over time as people get bought out, that could be an issue down the line. Yeah, definitely. One of their big drivers of, of profit um, is having more than one tenant on a single tower. So to Michael's point, I would actually be really curious to see how many, say, Sprint and T-Mobile shared towers there are that w- won't be necessary if that merger goes through. Um, so that's definitely one thing to think about. They, um, they can have two, three, even four tenants on the same tower without much of a cost increase to them. So this is kind of a great way that they've been driving their profit. And as consolidation happens, if that's where the trend ends up going, um, you could definitely see that kind of eat into profits. Right. Um, so, yeah, definitely an issue there. Th- that said, you know, underlying business metrics look pretty good. So uh, the dividend's a 2.2% yield. That's relatively low. But again, that's in large part because the company's been growing quickly and the dividend <laughs> hasn't been able to quite keep up. And uh, revenue is up uh, 8% year over year last quarter. Um, adjusted funds from operations or AFFO per diligence share up 9.5%. This is a company that's growing pretty rapidly and it looks pretty, pretty darn attractive, particularly again for a company of its size, as you mentioned, Matt. Yeah, American Tower is actually 6% of the entire REIT market. That's how big they are. Um, so, But like you said, they're growing very rapidly. And in a lot of their markets around the world, this technology is still where we were 10, 15 years ago, if that. Yeah. So there's still a lot of room to grow. Um, definitely watch the consolidation. Um, like I said, I would be very curious to know how many shared towers there are um, in their portfolio, especially between the companies that are thinking about merging. But that's just, like I said, something to keep in mind. But this is a very well-covered dividend, very diverse, great revenue stream, um, and a great business model, how they can just kind of add add new tenants to towers as they they come up. Right. And Oh, and it's, it's also um, important to point out that this doesn't just sell towers. Um, American Towers, um, well, they're towers. <laughs> um, they, they also do uh, radio transmission, things like television. So... They're, they're multi-purpose. It's not just cell technology we're talking about. Right. So that's American Tower, again, ticker symbol AMT. Matt, 30 seconds. Which one's your favorite of the three? Uh, digital Realty, hands down, just because, um, like I said, I, I love the data center growth story over the next few years. Um, the stock trades at an, an excellent valuation. Uh, check out some of my articles if you want to read more about that. But it's I, I've actually added to my position several times over the past few years, it's, and it's one of my largest holdings. Yeah, I've thought really hard about digital realty over the last few years, and I, I keep not pulling the trigger, but maybe this episode will finally be the catalyst that I need. All right, so, folks, that's it for this week's financial show. Questions or comments? You can always reach us at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Matt Frankel, I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!